Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. I'm going to start off by reading Luke. And if you don't have a Bible, totally okay. We have it on the screen behind me. And here's the idea is that everything I'm going to teach on, share on, is connected to seven verses out of two different parts of the Bible. And we believe here at Oceans Church that God still speaks. And his favorite way to speak to us is through our spouse. Kidding. That was a joke. Uh, someone's wife is just like, doosh, doosh. Uh. No, uh, God's favorite way to speak to us is through his word. And so we always read the Bible here. There's something about boldly proclaiming this book that touches the heart of God and kind of incites power into the room. And so uh, we're going to read out of Luke chapter 4 first, and then we will turn to Mark chapter 8. If you're ready to go, say, I'm ready. We're in a series called Wonders. The title of my message this morning, my talk, my thesis, my, uh, my sermon is, uh, I paid for that. I paid for that. We're in a Wonders series, and I'm going to talk to you today about paying for stuff. Let's, uh, let's look here in uh, Luke chapter 4. This is Jesus right after uh, he, he fasts for 40 days, 40 nights. He's 33 years old. He's starting basically his mission, his life's work. And uh, we pick up reading here right after uh, this happening. He's in his hometown of Nazareth. Verse 16, chapter 4, book of Luke. Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As was his custom, and he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, watch what he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty our freedom, those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book then. He dropped the mic. That's not in there. He closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. Everyone's eyes were on him in the church, and they were fixed on him. He began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Pretty audacious statement, basically saying what these guys wrote about 400, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, what they wrote about the Messiah is coming to pass before your eyes right now through me. And it was a pretty bold, audacious statement. Turn back with me to Luke chapter, or Mark chapter 8. And again, let's read uh, four verses here, and then we'll pray, tell some stories, and we'll have a good time, and I believe God's going to do something significant. Let me pause here. I just felt like earlier, I couldn't shake this, there's some of you that walked in with high levels of guilt, shame, uh, that God is going to take off your shoulders today. Some of you have been living in the land of regret, and I just felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you today that you're not going to live in the land of regrets. Um, that God has a, a new land, a new territory, a new place, and it's not shame, guilt, ridden. And I just like the Lord wanted me to tell you, closets are for clothes and vacuum cleaners. Not for shame, not for guilt, not for regrets. And so uh, that's for somebody. And I just like, there's going to be a couple physical healings that happen today in the service. And uh, if you believe it, just go ahead and say, I believe that. All right, let's go. So it says this in Mark chapter 8. It says uh, in verse 22, that Jesus came to Bethsaida, and they brought to him, they brought to him, the crowd, these people, they brought to him a blind man. Who brought him? They brought him, right? They brought a, they brought a blind man to him. And the people that brought him, they begged Jesus, they passionately invited, 
Jesus to touch the blind man. So Jesus took the blind man by the hand, led him outside of the town. And when he had spit, someone say spit. Sometimes we read the Bible and we just don't realize how gross some of this stuff is. Jesus spits on the blind man's eyes and put his hands on him. Can I just stop there for a minute? If, that, if I did that today, I would be in the news tomorrow. <laughs> Local Orange County preachers, Hawks Lugie. And okay, that was kind of a random miracle, but just go with me. This is unusual, I know. He spits on the man's eyes, he puts his hands on him, and he asks him, hey, do you see anything now? You see anything? I love the blind man's response. By the way, about seven, at least seven specific blind people were healed in the ministry of Jesus. Scores more were healed without having names or even specific stories told. But I love this story, one of my favorites, because of what's getting ready to happen next. He says, you see anything? And the guy looks up and he goes, I see. I see men walking like trees. Kind of a weird thing to see. But he sees nonetheless. And he goes, and it says, then Jesus, after he said that, put his hands on his eyes again. Say it this way. God touches him another time. And he made him look up. And then he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house. And uh, we'll stop right there. Let's pray this morning. I want to talk to you this morning on the idea I paid for that. I paid for that. Lord, I just thank you for uh, second service. I thank you for the energy that's in this room, the passion that we have in our hearts. And I just ask that, Lord, whether we're new to church our very first time or whether we come every single week, I thank you that you're an awesome God that has the ability to know right where we're at. I thank you that no one's off the map of your reach. And I thank you that your love knows how to find every one of us. So I ask you today that your love would deliver, God, even right now where we are, just, just deliver your heart for, for us. I thank you that you would move us where you want us to be. And we just pray that, God, this would be the greatest season for the Los Angeles Lakers in decades. In Jesus' name, if I got a believer in the room, come on, say amen. Amen. Come on, we lost some faith there at the end, but that's okay. Any Lakers fans? Come on, where's my Lakers fans at? You're very quiet. Thank you. Um, uh, any married people? Where's my married people at? Would you raise your hand? Make a noise real fast. Hey, married people. Yeah, married people. I've married, uh, we've been married for uh, 13 years, and uh, we're getting ready to celebrate. September will be our 14th year of marriage. And uh, come on, give the Lord a hand clap. That's awesome, right? My wife's only 21, so we're doing well. Um, forever 20, that's where we shop. Um, but no, uh, we've been married for 13 years. And it's funny, I feel like every marriage, is, you know, there's things that you're, you're pumped, you love, you're excited about. And there's other areas that are just kind of perpetual, like, we're just going to leave that alone. This area is not really improving. Like, I've been trying to tell my wife for years that you're supposed to finesse toothpaste from the bottom, the bottom of the container, and you're supposed to roll it as you go. My wife is a pathological toothpaste strangler. She chokes it at the very top, and I have to put the lid on it, screw the lid on, and then bring order back to the toothpaste. Are you following? There's some OCD people out of the room. So there's some things in marriage, I'm like, look, we just, look I'm not going to fight that battle, right? That battle's just, it's done. We've tried it. I try to tell her that the toilet paper roll is supposed to cascade waterfall. It's not supposed to be some hidden abyss somewhere. There's some battles you just get, you're not going to win. So I, I, she has her things, which she has two things I don't like about her, right? Those two things. That's it. And, and I have like a, a laundry list of things that I do wrong. And one of the things that drives my wife the craziest is when we go to a drive-thru, which isn't very often because we usually eat at Whole Foods. 
But when we go to drive-thrus, uh, it's interesting that I, I just have this habit, call me crazy, I'm kind of frugal. Uh, my wife's extravagantly generous, which I think works out well, because if you're both extravagantly generous, you'll be extravagantly broke. And so I'm always paying attention to where money's going, where we're spending money. And so I have this, this habit, call me crazy, I have this habit of going through the drive-thru. I give him my credit card. He gives me, I order at the window. I, I give him the credit card. He gives me the card back with the receipt. I got my receipt, and I'm checking to make sure that he got everything that I wanted. And after, is anybody else, you're, you're tracking me so far. So I'm looking over the receipt. And then the moment of truth comes that they hand me the bag full of what we, what we ordered, right? And here's the, here's the frustration for my wife, which I, I really can't relate to because um, I think I'm doing this. I'm in the right here. We don't argue anymore. I just tell her why I'm right. Come on. But uh, we, we're in this d- dilemma that I'm there. I have the bag of food on my lap, and there's this moment of truth that I start scanning the items in the bag. And here's the argument, that the, the point of contention in our marriage is she wants me to get the bag and buy faith. She wants me to leave the window of opportunity. She wants me to leave it. She wants me to drive around and blindly assume that these people on the inside have my best interest in mind. But I've been burned. How many, who's been burned before? I have paid for six tacos, and I've gotten four. And I, I've, I've made vows before the Lord. I said, never again. And so I will, at the risk of really a couple of things happening, my kids yelling, Dad, give us the bag. No. I'm checking it. At the risk of my wife saying, move. The car behind you is getting angry. No. I'm checking the bag. And at the risk of the employee staring at me, angry that he realizes that I don't have confidence in his competency. And I'm scanning the bag. I'm sorry, I got to do this. And I start looking through the contents because there is nothing worse than paying for something, driving away from the window of opportunity, only to find that, guess what? We didn't get everything that we ordered, let alone what we paid for. I'll be honest with you, I have an easier time sleeping not getting something that I didn't order than not getting something that I paid for. Are you tracking with me? And there's some of you, and this is crazy, it's just kind of thought, but I, I've been there with, with you before, that I, I leave the drive through only to find that I'm missing several items. And now you have a choice. Do I, do I risk the inconvenience of parking the car, walking inside, and defeating the purpose of the drive through have you been here? It's like, okay, I could have just came inside the first time. But you know what's interesting is that the lady at the counter doesn't usually, usually it's pretty easy. You go, you walk in, the walk of shame. You're like, man, this is, I should have stayed at the counter. I should have stayed at the window of opportunity. And you walk in and you let, look them in the eyes like, hey, I, I was just here over there in that window right there. <laughs> yeah, that's me. You might recognize this. Um, so uh, I ordered six tacos. I got three. And um, I'm here because I'm got I'm missing three tacos. Now, usually there's not an argument. Usually at most they'll say, well, can I see your receipt? And I show them the receipt. And if you pay for it, usually they'll never ask you, you need to pay again. Usually if you can prove that it's been paid for, there is not a double purchase. Are you tracking with me? 
But I'll be honest with you, there's been times because of time or because of convenience that literally I look in the bag, I look at the receipt, and what's in the bag does not match up with what's in the receipt. But because of my schedule or my lack of interest, I will just leave. I will just leave. I'll just be, you know what, I can live off three tacos. But the problem is, if you don't get what you ordered at the fast food restaurant, usually you'll be hungry enough, especially my kids, because they're hungry every 15 minutes, that I'll end up making a worse decision than fast food. What's worse than fast food? Gas station food. Gas station food makes McDonald's look like Whole Foods. And I'll end up eating something worse because I didn't get something that I was supposed to. Are you following me today? What I... And I, I don't know why God speaks to me like this, but I just feel like so many people, and I just feel like specifically picking on Orange County, there are so many people that look at the receipt of God's word, the promises that God promises to give his kids. And we order them at church. We're like, God, I do believe that you can save me and love me and heal me and move in my family and my marriage and my kids and my business and my vocation and my mission and my life. But we get like four out of six items. And we're like, I, it's not a big dude. Like, we can live. We can live without those three items. And I just, again, I can't, I don't know why, but I felt this frustration rising inside of me. Almost feeling like there's been so many people that have been lied to and ripped off that haven't gotten what Jesus died on the cross to give us. I felt almost the frustration of Jesus that people are literally okay living without things that he paid to give us. Like, we're okay. Like, look, I, look I'm depressed. I'm, I'm medicating myself, the pain. I'm nullifying the regret, the guilt, the shame. I'm just trying to pacify all the dysfunction. And literally, I'm going to heaven. I believe in Jesus. But I'm actually leaving his presence with not everything in the bag that he's given me on the receipt. Are you tracking with me? And I was reading these stories, and I just feel like a couple things are true. And I love, I love the story of Mark chapter 8, because it's the only blind guy in the Bible that didn't get everything the first time in the drive-thru. He's the first guy that walked in the drive-thru. He, he came through, and it says this crazy story that Jesus comes in, and I want to just point a couple things out. Number one, if you're taking notes, most miracles and most unusual happenings occur because it says in chapter 8, that there was people that brought a blind man and begged that, that Jesus would touch the blind man. So someone brought him and someone begged. Someone brought him, someone begged. Let me make it modern day. Someone invited someone to church and someone prayed that when they came that they would experience something good. What I've learned is most good things that happen to other people are a result of somebody else's prayers. I'll say that again. Some of the greatest things that will ever happen in your life when you get to heaven, you'll look back on and say, you know what, I never knew it on earth, but actually the only reason I became a pastor and moved to Orange County and married a supermodel and had a phenomenal life is because I had a grandmother and a grandfather that actually they brought me before I was born in prayer to God. And they actually, they begged. What do you mean begged? They passionately asked God, would you use one of my grandkids to make a difference in the world? I believe that wonders here are a result oftentimes of someone's prayers over there. Are you tracking with me? That's why we do pre-service prayer every week because we believe there's something about our, our mouth talking to God that moves God's hands. Prayer. Ian Bounds said that when I fell to pray, coincidence ceased to exist. Something about talking to God about life that brings things about in life. 
I remember praying things six years ago that I'm seeing today in this church. Why? Because there's something about bringing and talking to God, begging, God, would you please? Would you please? I love this story because the blind guy did not have a desire for Jesus, and he did not have a desire to be healed by Jesus. Someone else had it for him. Why is Ocean Church Orange County? Because we have an appetite for non-seeing people that they don't have yet. And we will pray, and your prayer is, it's standing in someone else's shoes and praying like you were them on their behalf. That's what prayer is. Prayer is going, man, they don't know that, that, that they're missing something. They don't realize that they're, they're actually putting all this gas station food in them because they have no awareness that there is a better source of supplements. They keep eating gas station hot dogs. They keep eating all these things. Man, they think they're going to find joy in that empty lifestyle, that fast lifestyle. It's like, man, I'm going to find my dream, you know, husband or my dream job doing all these things. Listen to me. You don't find certain fish in certain depths of water. Some of you, you're trying to get really good quality things in your life, but you're, 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 you're fishing on the surface. I love this idea that this blind guy goes, look. I, I didn't I wake up today thinking that I was going to get healed. I didn't wake up today with an appetite. Like, I want to be a believer. Someone walked into my life. Hey, bro, you want to come with me? We're going to this place called Ocean's Church. And before they showed up to his house, they invited and said, hey, God, today, would you just show him how awesome you are, the way that you've showed me how awesome you are? And so this guy shows up to church, or to Jesus, even better. And he gets in the presence of Jesus, and, this, and, and, and Jesus goes, uh, what can I do for you? And he said, I want to see. Okay. And so he, he, <sighs> what you think about this for a minute? Jesus spits. Now, some of you are like, I would hate that. Listen, if you were desperate enough to get healed, ah, I feel something in here. You know what's crazy? Some people in Orange County, they're like, I don't really want to see that much. I would rather not deal with the discomfort of an awkward situation and have a theology that I'm completely comfortable with, then actually maybe being a little bit uncomfortable in a church service or a setting that we're believing God for something that only He can do. Actually, I love this because there's actually more painful miracles in the Bible. There was one story that Jesus spit in the ground and made mud out of sand and actually put mud in someone's eyes. That would for sure be on CNN. Local preacher makes mud with saliva. Puts it in a blind man's. Is there anything more painful to you than the idea of putting sand in your eyeballs? But this is crazy. Jesus, in this case, he spits. Are you still tracking with me? He, met, he spits in the guy's eyes and he, and he lays hands on him. And here's what I want to point out to you is that this miracle happens because miracles always happen from the mouth of God. It says that he sends his word and he heals. Most commentators all agree on this one idea that why was this bit significant? Because it came from the mouth of God. Healing always originates from God's words, from his mouth. And so he spits on his hands, and I love it. He goes, hey, can you see? What, what, what's going on? And the guy goes, I love him. I can see. Men like trees walking. I love it because he's honest enough to admit that I'm better than I was but I'm still not seeing all that God wants me to see. I love this blind guy because I can relate to him. There's been many moments in my life that I wanted everything that I felt like God had for me, but I got only a portion of it. I love this guy's appetite to go through the drive-thru and say, man, I ordered complete 2020, and I only got one bag of like 2090. 
And what happens when you can't see fully is things get exaggerated. Many young Christians start to come to the knowledge of the truth, but their theology is exaggerated. It's because they don't have clarity yet. Clarity comes when you get really, when you, when you have this sovereign moment with God that you get hungry enough to go, look, I see better, but I'm not seeing best. And so many people, they live their life, and I'll be honest, they're happy enough to go, man, I, uh, this guy could have said, I see a little bit now. Thank you, Jesus. Have a great day. Think about this. He could have just said, man, like, I'm better than I've ever been. At least I can see light and shapes. I can't see clear, but I can see something. I love this guy's appetite to go, you know what? If Jesus paid for 2020, I'm not leaving with 2100. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to settle for something less than what he offered me. What do you want? I want to see. And I love the fact that God always gives us what, we desi- what, what we're asking and what we're believing God for. You aim at nothing, you hit it every time. You aim at what God asks you to aim at. A lot of times, listen, the results are his job. Obedience and belief is my job. I can't determine every miracle. I can't dictate timelines on when things are going to happen in your life. But I can say this, that you, you can rest assured that a lot of things won't happen in your life if you leave the drive through of his presence and go, God, I don't really care if this stuff ever happens in my life. I can live without it. God gave me this phrase, this idea, that if it's on the receipt, I want it in my bag. If it's on the receipt, I want it in my bag. Let's say it theologically. If it's in this book, I want it in my life. If it's a promise in this book, God, I ask you for it in my life. And there's so many Christians that are like, well, it's in the book, but we can live without it. Let's just go to the gas station. Let's just medicate it. Let's just numb it. Let's dull it. We'll just, we'll serve, we'll, we'll fix this appetite with other things other than what God wants me to fill this appetite with. Here's what I love. Luke chapter 4, I'm going to give you five points today. To, to, to show you what Jesus paid for. And if you want to go Old Testament, you go to Isaiah 53. And if you want to go uh, Old Testament, another passage, Psalms chapter 103, and there's the first two or three verses of that. These are what Jesus paid to give all of us. Are you ready? If you're new to church, this is going to be awesome because this is review for some of you. For others, this is going to be like light bulb moment. What did Jesus pay for? What did he pay for on the cross? I want you to write these down. Number one, Luke chapter four, verse 18, he says, I came, I paid for, I'm anointed to give good news to the poor. Good spot for an amen right there. If you're bored right now, you're a boring person because I'm not a boring preacher. If I can't get a Pentecostal amen, give me a Baptist head nod, come on. Presbyterian eyebrow raise or a Latter-day Saint, come on, say amen. I'm telling you that God in his mercy, he promises, he goes, look, I came to the earth to give good news to those that are poor. Well, you saying, Mark, that like if I'm a Christian, then I'm going to get a Rolls Royce and like have five pl- private jets and like my own television network. No, like that's not the promise. The promise is this, is that whatever area you're deficient in, God says, I'll give you resources in. What is good news to a poor person? They don't have to be poor anymore. Well, Mark, like this is like a prosperity message. No, it's like, okay, you have a poor marriage. What's the good news to a poor marriage? Is that your marriage doesn't have to stay poor. Your relationship with your kids is poor. It doesn't have to stay poor. Your ankle's in poor condition. It doesn't have to stay in poor condition. Your, your soul is wounded. It doesn't have to stay wounded. Good news to an area that's deficient is that it can rise. I came to pr- preach the gospel, means good news, to the poor. The idea is as Christianity is about God wants to give you sustenance where you're empty. 
He wants to give you something where there's nothing. Are you following me today? And many people are like, well, I'm just really empty, but I think the solution is just more this, more that, more the other. I've learned this, that you can make an idol out of anything. Like I heard a long time ago, I've shared this story before. But whenever you have a sentence like this, I will not be happy until I get blank. Listen, watch this. I will not be happy until I get married, until I have kids, until I get this job, raise, bonus, trip, vocation, whatever. I will not be happy. None of those things are bad. But when you dictate your happiness on anything other than what David said, I will not be happy until I arrive in the likeness of God. You can form idols even out of good things. I think Orange County, I think our number one idol in Orange County isn't just money. I think it's actually worshiping our families. We care more about our kids, and oftentimes, than we do about God. Going to get quiet in the Presbyterian church just for a second. I, I, I do this. I think you can worship things that God gives you more than God himself. And I think that everything that God comes from God is gifts, but we're not supposed to worship the gifts. We're supposed to worship the God that gives the gifts. So the first thing he says is, I came to give good news to the poor. You don't have to stay empty anymore. I can fill you up. Number two, the second thing that Jesus paid for is he came to heal the brokenhearted. You know, I've learned living in Orange County, there's a lot of people that have broken hearts. You can have a completely whole house, a completely whole career, a completely whole lifestyle, but still have a very, very broken, dark heart. And I feel like God today wants me to tell you that some of you are like, Mark, I got a broken heart right now. And I got really, really ridiculously good news for you is that God came on the earth, died, actually wrapped himself in human flesh, died a sinner's murderer's death to pay for all of our mistakes so that literally 2,000 years later, he could offer you this paid in full gift of are you hurting? Here's the phrase, I can heal you everywhere that you're hurting. I want you to know, some of you are like, well, Mark, man, this medicine makes, it makes me better. I'm not against medicine. This, man, this thing makes me feel better. I'm not against things making you feel better. Entertainment, fun, trips, rest, all good. But I want to make something very clear, that God is the only one on the earth qualified to heal you in every area of your life that you're hurting. He's the only one that has the right resume to do that. He promises, I paid to heal you everywhere that you're broken, the brokenhearted. And I feel like there's so many people that are like, man, I have a broken heart, but I'm going to heaven. There's a lot of Christians that are on their way to heaven, but living very broken on this side of eternity. Jesus died. Listen, here's the frustration. Mark, I paid for that. They're living in perpetual depression, perpetual discouragement, perpetual dysfunction. Can you imagine Jesus' frustration? Like, man, I love them so much, they have no idea that I actually paid on the cross for the stuff that they're tolerating lacking in their life. I paid for that. And that's what I just kept getting all week, is I got this holy frustration from God out of love, because I believe that love actually is what gives you the ability to hate. Can I explain this? Some people say, Mark, well, God, God, God has wrath. God gets angry. Do you know that wrath is a byproduct of anger? And anger only exists if there's true love. Some people say, well, Mark, God shouldn't be angry. God shouldn't have wrath. Well, it says that God has wrath, but God is love. So make the difference. Wrath is something that he's had. Love is something that he is. Watch this. So if someone came to your house, and you're an all-loving person, and they broke into your house while you were gone, and they destroyed your furniture, you weren't home and your kids were, and they took your kids and they hurt your kids. Oh, no, they didn't. And they destroyed your TVs. 
and they took your car and they vandalized your car. Listen, when you come home, if you're all loving, you don't walk into the house and go, oh my gosh, my TV's destroyed, my house is ruined, my kids are damaged, my kids are hurt, my cars are messed up, and say, bring it in, buddy, for a hug. You know what happens? Because you love your kids and the things that God has given you, you experience an emotion called anger. Anger or wrath is the shadow side to God's love. Do you know why God gets upset sometimes? Because the, the devil has been vandalizing God's kids and his creation for thousands of years. And because what's been stolen that belongs to his kids, God experiences the emotion of, man, I don't like the way my kids are being treated. Are you tracking with me? God experiences an emotion called anger. And by the way, all of God's anger that he ever had towards us, he put on Jesus 2,000 years ago. I say it all the time like this, that God treated Jesus the way that we deserve to be treated so that God could treat us the way that Jesus deserved to be treated. It's called double jeopardy. You can't charge somebody twice for the same crime, just like you can't charge somebody twice for the same burrito. Are you following me? I'm an angry person at Taco Bell if you try to get me to pay twice for the same food. I paid for that, Joker. I ain't paying again. And many of you are like, Mark, look, did God... Did God take care of this stuff in my life? And the answer is he paid for it. He paid for brokenhearted people. He paid for deficient, empty people. And he actually, he paid for this other thing. He paid for, he said, I came to actually liberate people that are captive. Captive. Now, I know that all of us today, thank God, we're not in prison today or jail. You're all free. But there's many people in this room that you're captive to vices, addictions, habits, and there's things, if we're being honest in church, there's things that you don't like about you that you can't break free from by yourself. And I want you to know that this is the gospel. This is Christianity. The message of Jesus is you don't have to stay locked up in the areas that God doesn't want you to stay in. A lot of people say, Mark, well, if I give my life to God, like, my life has to change. It doesn't have to change. It will. But it doesn't have to. It's like God meeting you in a road that you're hanging out in. And loves you enough to not let you stay in the same road that's dangerous. He doesn't say, man, get out of the road. You're an idiot. He says, I love you. Let's maybe get to a little bit safer spot. God is a God that liberates people that are in bondage or enslaved to prisons. Number four is he promises, I will restore, I paid for, the recovery of sight to the blind. I'll probably end here. The band can come up here. I believe one of the greatest things that God can give you is your sight. Let me, let me, what you, what, I can see, dude. I can see you. My point is, as many people see physically, but one of the greatest things you can't, you can't afford to lose in life. You can lose a job. You can lose a house. You can lose, I mean, there's people that lose family members and animals. You can lose a lot of stuff, go through tragedy. One of the things you cannot afford to lose in life is the God-given vision to see what God has for you next. I heard one of my, one of these pastors uh, online last night, he was doing this teaching and he said, if you're dating someone or you like somebody, more important than finding out if they love you, that's the big question everyone says, well, do they love you? More important than do they love you, a girl should ask this question to a guy, where are you going? Where are you going? I think more, the health of a relationship and the health of an individual is dictated by their ability to see where they're going next. The Bible says that without vision, people perish. Without vision, people perish. God came to give dreams, to give visions. Why? Because God knows that we're the most like Him when we can see what He wants to show us. And many people are living blind lives. Like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. God doesn't want you to live blind. He wants you to live with sight. I always say that blind people, you know you're blind 
Because blind people, they have to, they don't see, so they live solely by what they feel. How do you know if you're living a blind life? You live solely by your feelings. Well, I feel like getting high, I feel like getting drunk, I feel like sleeping around, I feel like this, I feel like that. When feelings drive your life, it's an indicator that you're not seeing. Vision gives you the ability to make choices that are not dictated by soul emotions. You're nothing more than an animal. Come on, that song was right. Baby me and you ain't nothing but mammals. Come on. That song was right if you solely live by just your emotions. I just feel like, I just feel like this, I feel like this. I just want you to know there's a higher thing than feelings. It's called faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet, not yet. You know what faith does? It gives you vision for the future. Jesus said, you know what Christianity is about? It's about actually getting you out of the areas of your life that you're struggling and you're poor in. It's about raising the empty places of your life. It's actually, Jesus says, it's about healing the brokenhearted human being so they don't live their lives with broken hearts. Mr. Miyagi said it best, no such thing as a stupid student, only a bad teacher. And many people, listen to me, it's hurt people that hurt people. And if you want to break the cycle of hate, Martin Luther said it best, hate can't drive out hate, only love can do that. You don't break the cycle of divorce or substance abuse or dysfunction in your family by repeating the way they live their life. You break it by saying, God, would you heal me everywhere that I'm hurting? Healed people, heal people. Reach people, reach people. Save people, save people. Are you following? And so many people, they don't realize, what did Jesus come for? He came to give you sustenance where you're empty. He came to actually heal the areas that are broken, to liberate you in the areas that you're addicted. To give sight to those that don't have sight. I'm telling you, there's something greater than living for a career. It's living for your call. Careers are what you get paid to do. Calls are what you were made to do. There's a lot of miserable people in Orange County that have great careers, but they're miserable because they're not living in their call. This church, you mark my words, will will help people discover, I'm not just here to make money. I'm here to make a difference. I'm here for a call. I'm called. You're called. There's a call on you. God doesn't make accidents. God made you with a purpose. This is going to blow your mind. Do you know that everything that God gave you gift-wise was not for you? It was for other people. God never made any, like, I want you to be really gifted so that your name can become great. God gave us great gifts so that we can help make his name great. So he gives sight to the blind, and it says that he liberates those that are oppressed. I believe that you can be a Christian and be oppressed, not possessed but oppressed. And some of you today, I got, man, I just, I feel like the Spirit of God welling up inside of me. And I'm getting ready to evict some of the darkness that's in this room. Because you're going to heaven, but there is hell living inside of you right now. Well, how, how can you, well, not, I'm not possessed. Listen, you can't possess my home if I own it. But if I leave windows open and the front door open, you can go in and you can, you can habitate in it for a little bit. But here's the deal. If, if the house is owned by me, When I go home and I find you in my home, I have legal authority to say, look, you might have came in because I left the window open or the door open, but this does not make it your home, my home, you leave. And that's what darkness does in life, is that darkness tries, you might have made a, the Bible says it's willful disobedience that leaves the door open, 
for demonic harassment and darkness to harass you. So what do you do when darkness? You have panic attacks and anxiety and fear and worry and you're scared and you're fearful of the future. What do you do? Is you recognize that this isn't from God. You can write this down. This is worth the price of admission. You know the presence of God by peace, like you know the presence of darkness by fear and anxiety. Some people say, Mark, is it God that he's trying to make warn me and I'm getting scared about this or that? God never motivates us with fear. He never motivates you with sickness. Well, I was falling away from the Lord, so he gave me this disease. Would you do that to your kids? You're screwed up as a parent compared to God. So I'm pretty sure that God would not throw sickness on you to teach you a lesson or to put fear on you to get you to change. The Bible doesn't say it's the fear of God or it doesn't say the, it's the anxiety of God that leads man to repentance. It says it's the goodness of God. There is something called the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, but here's the fear of the Lord. It's not, I'm scared of God, woe is me. I'm going to get a cosmic spanking. The fear of the Lord is loving someone so much that you don't want to do anything that grieves their heart. The fear of the Lord, let's say this way, the fear of Rochelle is, I don't, it's not like I'm asking her, how much can I get away with until you're mad at me? Can you imagine your spouse on a wedding day saying, hey, how much can I flirt with the opposite sex? until it offends you. See, the fear of, of, of love in a relationship would be I'm so in love with you that I'm not worried about other people. I don't ever want to hurt you. Fear of the Lord is an awe of God, but it's also simultaneously loving God so much that you realize He loves you so much that I don't want to do anything willfully that hurts His heart. And if I hurt your heart, God, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to repent. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to say, God, forgive me for willfully disobeying you and letting this darkness into my life. I recognize that this isn't from you, so I command every spirit of fear, shame, and guilt to loose your grip off of every one of God's sons and every one of God's daughters. You don't belong in their life, their soul, their spirit, so I command you in the name that's above every name. Jesus Christ, I serve you your eviction notice, and I declare the peace of God, the joy of God, the hope of God, and the truth, the light of Jesus to fill every soul that's in this room. If you believe it, come on, say amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.